Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The My Baby and Me podcast in association with Nook. Hi, this is Jane Garvey and welcome to the My Baby and Me podcast. Now, we're here sharing our advice and our experiences, some good, some bad, uh, so that we can, we hope, help you along what can be the pretty rocky road of early parenthood. In this episode, we're talking about pregnancy and birth. Uh, Emphatically, we're not here to preach to you. We are here to help you along, not to tell you what to do. You must do things the way you want to do them. That really is the message. It's your body and it's going to be your baby. And here with me, I've got The Guardian and stylist, magazine columnist, Lucy Mangan. Lucy, you have a three and a half year old son. I do, yes. Okay, and a whole host of anecdotes, we know. (laughs) Um, And Lucy, another Lucy, the comedian Lucy Porcher is here with two children just 14 months apart. Their ages are? Uh, So just turned four and nearly three. (laughs) I've been very tired for some years now, Jane. Yeah, well, you're sounding chipper enough. I mean, you look tired. No, I mean... You You get through it. She's lying lying on the floor. (laughs) With a bottle of gin. That's how I'm normally fair. And also here, a man who knows absolutely everything, Colin Davis, who is a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist at Barts in London. Colin, welcome to you. You're so eminent. You're not even a doctor, you're a mister. Oh, thank you very much. What does that mean? <laughs> well, originally, um, surgeons came out of the um, butchers and therefore yeah. uh, in the 19th and early 20th century, people who undertook surgical procedures were called misters and it still remains in England and Wales and no other part of the world and in fact everywhere else, Scotland, uh, America Europe, we're all doctors so really we qualify as doctors we take our higher qualifications as surgeons and then we get the prestige of being called a mister. Again. Yes. It's good to be reminded of surgery's roots in butchery isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> when exactly. you're just about also to have a baby explains why, he's, why he's wearing <laughs> the blood spatter <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was worried about that <laughs> So if you weren't worried beforehand we're going to make you worried now. We're not though the whole point is to offer reassurance yeah, and a, a bit of advice. It'll well, be fine. It will be fine, but it won't be perfect. I think that's the most important thing to get no, across. No, there's no such thing as a and perfect pregnancy, I don't think. Actually, Colin, you did, you've delivered babies, uh, but you'll never have one. What a funny, what a funny world you inhabit. Um, you actually don't know all that much about this subject, do you? I share. I the, put it to you. I share the experiences <laughs> having three children myself and right. having gone through it with my wife, who did have a number of complications and. Um, it's very difficult being on the other side, feeling you've got to do your best. But you're quite right. I don't actually go through the direct experience, but having heard the um, stories and, and understood what women go through, I try very hard to be empathic about their, their It's feelings. interesting when you introduced him, actually. we With the women, we all said how many children we have, and we didn't ask you, Colin. Yes, there we go. How, many, how old are you? Uh, my children are 15. Um, I have a 10-year-old who's going to be 11 next Monday <laughs> and a 7-year-old. So I have two boys and then a girl. Very yeah. well spaced. Very nice, sensible spacing. There, I think we had troubles with our first child. It was difficult, sleeplessness, tiredness, mm-hmm. and then my wife had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was difficult as well. So 
I have some insight into what women experience and part of my job looks at pregnancy from the start all the way through to finish so often when one identifies a miscarriage it's I understand it's very traumatic mm. well you will understand then uh, certainly the normal pregnancy is so-called normal pregnancy duration any time between what 37 and just uh, over 40 yeah so we call term or from 37 to 42 weeks and after 42 weeks we call that post-term and before 37 weeks we call that pre-term and uh, the timing of birth is extremely random depending on the circumstances in pregnancy itself. So what about the first 12 weeks then? Why are they, why is the embryo, the, the baby, so so fragile at that time? Um, I mean, it's tiny. It's, um, if you look at the embryos developed as part of IVF, they're microscopic, so you have to look under a microscope to actually see the embryo. Once the embryo is inside the, the lining of the womb, it develops and it rapidly grows um, every day. As a result of that, the embryo implants in the lining of the womb sets out messages to the body uh, in such a way that the woman undergoes lots of changes. The first 12 weeks, um, there are so many changes that occur in terms of the blood volume increases, uh, the heart rate increases, and the woman's generally feeling quite nauseous. And it's the natural chemical HCG or human coronic gonadotrophin that creates these changes. So what is so significant then about that 12-week cut-off point? Um, it's, it's very important. The, if you look at the statistics, once a woman gets beyond 12 weeks, the chance of having a miscarriage or losing the pregnancy is less than 1%. And the reason behind that is that the DNA or genetic makeup of that embryo determines the outcome. It determines the appearance of the baby. It determines the blood vessels within the baby and the connections between mother and baby. And if there is a fault line in the, the DNA or genetic makeup, it will result in the pregnancy stopping at some point in that first 12 weeks. And I think that's the way nature designed it so that we wouldn't have any tangible Id uh, way of identifying a pregnancy until something's properly embedded. I mean, I've had miscarriages, and it probably is for most women the most terrible thing, as you yes. know yourself from your own yes. wife's experience. But would you ever miscarry a healthy baby? You can do. Um, and one of the sadnesses is when the environment at which a pregnancy develops isn't ideal or optimal. And there are a variety of theories suggesting that there's a problem with the uterus, the uterine lining, and that can cause a healthy, genetically healthy pregnancy not to continue. But if it does happen to you, it isn't your fault, is it? I mean, uh, women uh, do torture themselves. Absolutely. But. It's not their fault. And I think people often lose the... We, we focus on the physical aspects of miscarriage, but actually the psychological, emotional aspects are, are very deep and it takes women a long time to actually get over that. And if you've had one, should you immediately try to get pregnant again? I mean, I, I know a lot of people think, a lot of women think, this is the best way to get over it. Um, I think if it works out, that's fantastic. But if there are recurring causes, then clearly going straight into another pregnancy might lead to another miscarriage. And I think one of the difficulties is that certainly in the NHS, the focus is on only investigating women after three recurrent miscarriages. And my personal view is that you should look at each miscarriage in isolation and look at potentially the underlying causes to try and support people through physically and the emotional side of it. What can you do then in the first 12 weeks as a, as a pregnant woman yeah. to give yourself the best possible chance? Absolutely. So the things to do is obviously drink lots of water, take folic acid, because folic acid at, at a standard dose it has been shown to reduce the risk of neural tube defects like spina bifida. Avoiding things that we know can potentially be harmful, such as excessive amounts of alcohol, cigarette smoking, um, of course, drugs to avoid at all costs. Um, people talk about coffee and tea. Coffee and tea is OK in very small amounts. 
generally speaking, quality and lifestyle is important. The foods to avoid are the unpasteurised meats, the unpasteurised cheeses. Generally speaking, avoiding things that can upset the tummy. What about things like paracetamol, though? Um, it's shown to be safe in pregnancy at normal standard amounts. The, the drugs to avoid as well are um, things like neurofen and the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Oh, don't, don't take them. Don't take them at all because they're not safe in pregnancy. And of course, if, if a woman's on pre-existing medication, it's important to check with the doctor whether it's safe to take in pregnancy. And there are certain antibiotics that are not safe in pregnancy. So I think if anybody's taking medication, prescribed medication, they should seek the advice of their doctor. I think anyone who's ever been pregnant will know that the first couple of months, particularly if you've had a miscarriage or you're worried about miscarriage, can be really stressful. But after that, yes. it's not too... I didn't think it was that bad. What about you? Lucy M. <laughs> um, I was very lucky. I had a great pregnancy I didn't have a minute's morning sickness I got SPD and I can't remember what it stands for but uh, the good the good Mr Doctor here will tell me what, what, Symphys- what is that? Symphysis pubis diathesis Oh, you're so posh. I wish I'd had that. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. You, you really do, Jane, because it's when your pelvis starts coming apart. Oh, maybe I don't know. I know I don't want that. No. And you end up, and by the end, you know, my husband had, had really turned into my carer because he had to he had to get me up out of bed every morning and sort of in about eight different movements because you you cannot. Ooh. Or, you know, without screaming agony, move your legs apart. No, so I really wish I, I, I'm, I'm you, really sorry. You, I don't want to have Can you not get a belt or something? You, they give you, on the, on the NHS, you know, you can go and get a, a sort of corset that fits around your hips, mm. but it doesn't really do anything. And mm. I was just so lucky that I worked from home and could, you know, take 10 minutes to get out of my chair like this <laughs> and then turn without, imagine turning without actually using your pelvis. It's quite interesting. And did that get better as soon as you'd given birth, or did it? Yes, but I, I had a terrible birth, and I filled it up with a whole lot of other problems oh, instead. No. So it was a long, <laughs> well, a long couple positive of years. story there. Let's look at uh, something more. But I love being pregnant. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like having muscular pain in a way. You, you can deal with it, and also you th- you know it's going to end. So yeah, yeah, that is and the lovely thing. Come, to remember doesn't come on so early as five months. Yeah, because I had a very with my first pregnancy, very difficult first three months of sickness, and then loved the second trimester so much. Felt amazing, like it was just it, obviously hormones are my drug of choice. I've never really taken drugs, but if I could have anything, I would have second trimester hormones pumped into me constantly because I thought it was it was lovely. Although I did, I had a a bleed at sixty quite a bad bleed at 16 weeks and was worried you know had miscarried before and was was incredibly worried but um then discovered actually it seems quite common that lots of people you know I, I was desperately looking online as you do kind of and um and actually you know if anyone out there does have a bleed it doesn't necessarily mean does it that that's because i was obviously thinking well that's it but yes Yes, in fact, interestingly, I bled during pregnancies that resulted in miscarriage, and also in the two that didn't. So, I mean, what? Mm. But what? It, so, what it's, but it's so. It's so. No wonder it's unsettling. This whole it's thing. It's a very scary experience to bleed in pregnancy. It's not normal. It it, it is common, but it's not normal. Mm-hmm. So, it's really important to look at potential underlying causes. And also to try and monitor the pregnancy a bit more closely. So, ultrasound is a very good way of doing it. There are conditions clotting conditions that have been uh, identified that can be linked to bleeding in pregnancy and miscarriage as well and it's very important for that to be investigated because there are preparations such as low-dose aspirin or even blood thinning drugs such as uh, clexane that can uh, reduce the risk of miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Well as we record this uh, the Duchess of Cambridge is in the news again with her extreme morning sickness Mm. That, she really is unlucky, isn't she, yes. Colin? That's She's it. very unlucky. Yeah. Although it's common to experience nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, um, the, ext- 
extreme nature of it means that some women require fluid rehydration intravenously as well. Um, but thankfully, after about 12 to 14 weeks, after the first three months, it tends to get a lot better. And there's no reason why anyone should suffer in this way? Not in straightforward pregnancies, no. I mean, there are uh, situations where, for example, twin pregnancies can result in extreme nausea and vomiting. Um, but some women do have a tendency towards it, and we haven't quite identified what that is uh, caused by. And it doesn't mean that you're having a girl? No. Definitely not. No, because she had a boy last time. <laughs> exactly. And she was sick then too. Correct. Shows how much I know, doesn't it? Um, Lucy Mangan, did, did you have, I appreciate you had SBD, which was dreadful, but you had good months of the pregnancy as well that you enjoyed? Yes, I was very lucky because I'd been dreading morning sickness, but I didn't have any of that. And the SPD, as I say, you thought you'd, once you know what's going on and you know it's get, you, you recover pretty much instantly once you've given birth and all the hormones just go boom, out your body. And despite, you know, your muscular pain, I didn't feel... To me, it's much worse to feel sick all the time or, or worried or anxious. And I didn't. I felt, I felt brilliant. So, and I, also, I just felt it's so stupid, but it's so stupid, but I felt really clever. I was just walking along, going, walking along, working and walking and making a baby. I just, you know, yeah. amazing. I know it does feel like you're doing something even when you're doing yeah. nothing, doesn't it? Which you know, and is I was never really good at sports or anything. This is the first physical thing I've, ever, I've ever accomplished <laughs> yes. smoothly. Well, I also became a like a pregnancy yoga junkie as well. And in a way, I'm not sure that... I think the hormones helped, but also just I was doing yoga every day. I was going swimming three times a week. Is that safe? Yeah. Is that safe, Colin? Yes, it is. I think in moderation, as long <laughs> oh, as you don't... My exercise is always in moderation, <laughs> yeah. Colin. I'm not, I never overdo yeah. it. Yeah. But I, I think some women do think that they're going to be able to do exactly the same as before they got pregnant, and then it sort of hits them in the first three months but generally speaking mm. exercise is good in pregnancy there's been a very good study published in the british medical journal that showed that uh, taking exercise in regular amounts in pregnancy does reduce complications later on in pregnancy well actually the first three months i have to say i couldn't have done i mean definitely the second trimester i did lots but yeah, yeah the first trimester i would literally get in from being out at work and just fall asleep in my coat on the sofa and wake up the next morning, I just I slept and slept and slept. I found it exhausting. We'll discuss exercise in pregnancy actually in another episode. Um, but I think there's an obsession almost in, in lots of the newspapers, the generally the smaller newspapers, <laughs> about how a woman looks and, and generally how a woman looks, but particularly in pregnancy. So did you have either, Lucy, what the papers might laud as a tidy bump? One of those lovely, <laughs> shapely... My bump was quite tidy. It was my swollen ankles and general... Uh, I mean, I, I I piled on loads of weight during both my pregnancies. And I've never how, really much, how much weight? Ta- oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't weigh myself because I'm not masochistic, but... Uh, well, I, I, want, I, I did weigh myself. Oh, no. I, I was weighed at hospital when I had my oh, first daughter. And, and uh, she, I was 13 and a half stone. And I am five foot one and normally about eight and a half stone. <laughs> wow. Yes, thank you for that, Colin. I, d- I don't know what had happened. What, do you, what happened to you, Lucy? Oh, you're going to hate me. I, oh. <laughs> I ended up wearing slightly less at the end of my pregnancy than I had at the beginning because I had... If you want, I have polycystic ovary syndrome and that had made me fat without me sort of realising. And then when I went on the fertility drugs because we'd had problems conceiving because of the old yeah cysts instead of ovaries that I had. Um, when I went on the drugs, I started just losing weight because it, obviously I don't know how the... You know, precise but it regulates your hormones as it, as it, as they should be. Then brings you back to normal, and so I started losing weight, all the weight that was due to the PCOS, and so as the pregnancy got bigger, I was still losing weight. So I ended up 
you know, a little bit lighter at the end of it. Wow. So, yeah. That is unusual, great. surely, Colin. It is unusual. I can't be the only woman who but, put on. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, most women do put on, a, and a lot of the reason for that is fluid retention, particularly in the first pregnancy. It's right, very okay. common. It makes me feel a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I've lost most of the weight now, I should say. Well, she's nearly 15. <laughs> I've put it on since. Um, <laughs> you put it on since, OK, so you say. Um, but did, did you care about the way you looked, actually? I, I can't honestly remember caring very yeah. much about it, although I clearly was much larger than normal. I don't think no, it bothered me. No, you've got so much else going on. And yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's a shame that the, the tabloids do bang on all the time about women losing their baby weight quickly. Um, but Well, they're I, given operations. I mean, the, the so-called celebrities, surely they're having an operation along with the baby, aren't they? Aren't they are having... they? Well, Colin well, might know. Is Colin there a tummy tuck? Do, do people have tummy tucks? No, with I, their... I don't. No, they don't. I mean... Some, some of them do. Maybe not in this country. Maybe not in this country, because I've had the opportunity to look after a few... Um, well-known people, but the truth is that um, the only time one can do it is when you do a caesarean section, and I wouldn't advocate it because the surgery is more complicated and the risks are much higher. Mm. But, I mean, just to be brutal, and I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of all of us who've been so-called normal yeah. post, post-birth mothers, yes. you do, we do get these images shown to us of women who yeah. honestly do appear to be so-called back to normal within nanoseconds. Yeah. That, and that, there's something going on, isn't there? It's because we forget that, you know, when the average, you know, properly famous actress gets, has a break, they're athletes before they begin, you know, they're incredibly fit. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a friend at the moment who is a, a marathon runner and, a, you know, does all the Iron Woman stuff. And she's 36 weeks pregnant. You can't, you can hardly tell. It's like she's having an imaginary baby because yeah. she's so fit and toned. And so that's why I don't, there's no point comparing yourself ever to a celebrity, but certainly not when it comes to birth, because I'm quite sure they do genuinely snap back in ways we would find unrecognisable, simply because they're so fit, and that's fair enough, they worked hard for it. Good on you, I'd rather sit and eat cake. At Nook, we believe our job is to make your life easier. For over 60 years, we've been listening to midwives, doctors, dentists, and most importantly, parents. Only by listening have we been able to deliver a range of products that is specifically designed to satisfy the needs of mother and baby in those precious early years. To find out more about the full range of Nook products, visit our website at www.nook.co.uk. Nook. Understanding life. Colin, in a, a normal pregnancy, if there is such a thing, of course, if it's you going through it, it never seems entirely normal to you, particularly if you've never done it before. How many times would you expect to visit the hospital for your clinics and um, for other well, appointments? Well, there are different ways of undertaking the the care before birth um, we call it antenatal care and normally women are seen every four weeks and that can be done in the hospital uh, with the GPs with a community midwife and that's normally every four weeks till um, 28 weeks and then every two weeks till 36 weeks and then every week till birth um, but nowadays hospitals tend to keep women out of hospital until um, the critical points which tends to be after the due dates or at the 20 week important ultrasound scan. And what are they looking for in that 20-week scan? Um, looking for the development of the baby, so looking for any problems with the development of the heart, the brain, the lungs, the kidneys, and things just to say to the mum, everything looks normal. And sometimes you can pick things up that can then be monitored for the remainder of the pregnancy that could determine safe delivery for the baby. And what if things aren't quite right? Then, of course, that requires more expert assistance and help. So, for example, if the placenta, the afterbirth, was in the uh, low position, it would require um, ultrasound scans every four weeks to monitor the position of the baby and also to determine where, how the baby should be born. 
rather than have a normal birth, maybe requiring a cesarean section. But you'll be helped. There's no way that you'll be left floundering if you do have one of those scans Absolutely. and things aren't quite as they should be. Exactly. So it goes from being a low-risk pregnancy to more of a medically-assisted pregnancy. That's also the scan at which the, the gender of the baby can, can usually be determined. Yes. Um, what, what, not always, though, I don't um, think. Well, Things have moved on in that in very expert hands, the gender can be seen at three months of pregnancy by ultrasound. And there is a, a new test that came out in January 2013 called the uh, Harmony Test, which has now been superseded by something called the Panorama Test, which is a blood test from the mother that sent, when sent to America in two weeks later, one can get the actual uh, genetics of the pregnancy because they pick up the baby cells and the mother's circulation and can actually look at the sex of the baby as well. What, what other information would you get from well, that? Well, you can look at for things like Down syndrome, right. you can f look for all the genetic-related problems. You can, you wouldn't, but you wouldn't get IQ or hair colour? Definitely not. not <laughs> no, yet. I mean, we're probably not far off. No, getting, I agree. I um, think the way the world is moving, that uh, genetics are moving rapidly forward, that we will get that information in the near future. Right. I mean, this is a whole new podcast. It's a new, but, yeah. but if you were to discover your child wasn't quite as brainy as you might have hoped, yeah. um, okay. I mean, that is going to happen in my lifetime, isn't it? I can, yes. Yes, it's I quite troubling, think, isn't it? Yes. Um, and how many people are taking are taking up that sort of testing? Then? Well, this is a new test, and, and currently it's only available in the private sector. And it's really expensive. And it's about five to six hundred pounds for the test. The NHS now is looking at it, and certain centres in London are looking at whether it's going to be cost-effective in introducing some form of testing of the foetal cells and the mother's circulation. So watch this space, really. Hopefully in the next couple of years it may be available in the NHS. But, of course, the gender... There are questions about the whole of gender course. testing business, and I suspect that there probably are concerns about that test you described being used in the wrong way. Correct. Um, but, in general, the people that you, you come across in, in your work, do they always want to know the sex of the baby? I think it's about 50-50, really. It's always interesting to me to know that people often don't want to know because they want the surprise of having a baby that they don't know what's going on. And I think that's the nice thing. Certainly for my wife and I, we decided not to know the sex. Um, of course, it, this blood test wasn't available then. It was just ultrasound. But we felt that actually we wanted a surprise. And I think that's the one great wonders in life that, that isn't taken away from us. It's nice, something nice for the midwife as well. You feel like, the, you know, for them to be able to say, it's a boy, it's a girl. Yeah. It's yeah. A, you know, yes. yeah, we decided not to find out either. Yes. Lucy? I wanted, I wanted to know. Um, fortunately, my husband didn't, but guess what? I got my way. <laughs> I'm the pregnant one. <laughs> yeah, well, Did you tell him? Or was uh, he yes, there the when end, you found he, out? In the end, he, want, he said, well, okay. well, you know, because we, we decided we'd either both have to know or... Yeah, know, that neither. would be weird, wouldn't like, it? I have to know in this great sea of unknowns. I would yeah, like yeah. to know what I'm having. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, it's one of those things you... Uh, I mean, we had actually our 20-week scan um, with Emily, with our firstborn. Uh, they did find something wrong with her kidneys. And I have to reassure people, if that happened, I mean, it was amazing. The level of care we got, we were at UCLH uh, in London and they just immediately, we got sent to Great Ormond Street like the next day to see someone about kidneys and they were incredibly reassuring. And then after we had Emily, they'd made uh, provision for her to be, to have ultrasound and uh, it turns out there was nothing wrong with her. So it was all, all for nothing in the end, but it was, uh, you know, I just... She repaired herself. She did. She's, she's that much of a genius uh, but yeah so it, it's you know as scary as it is when they say we think there might be something wrong with your baby I would reassure people that you know actually it doesn't always turn out to be as terrible as you first think. And what about as the baby gets bigger when might you expect to feel the baby moving Colin and, and then once it started moving do you have to worry about it moving every day or can you 
stop worrying? Um, these are very good questions because it varies from pregnancy to pregnancy. So the earliest that a woman could feel the baby move is about 14 to 16 weeks. And that tends to be in subsequent pregnancy. So in the first pregnancy, it tends to be around 18 weeks. Um, and we classify pregnancies according to weeks because months get a bit confusing. So from the first day of the last period, then we say every week from that point onwards. Yeah. If the placenta after birth is located at the front, then it's more difficult to feel the baby move and um, because it's almost like a cushion that stops the movements going through to the top. If the placenta is located at the back, then it's much easier and that's when we tend to feel the baby move at about 18 weeks. But you might be 19, you could be 20. Absolutely. There's yeah. a complete range between as little as 14 weeks all the way through to 24 weeks. And it starts off as little flutters and then it sort of builds up to actually kicks. To answer your question about when to monitor the movements, it tends to be from about 26 weeks onwards because before then it's very difficult to get a pattern. Some women do, some women don't, and it'd be wrong to say you've got to have a pattern because people end up coming to hospital for monitoring more frequently if, it, if we did that. But, yeah, I can understand that, though, um, particularly if you've not had a baby before yes. and you haven't felt the baby move for, say, over the course of a weekend. Yes. That is unusual, isn't it? And, it is, yes. and I think often... When that happens, they come to hospital and everything looks normal. It's because they've been busy over the weekend or they haven't actually sat down and tried to feel that the baby's actually moving. It tends to be, if most women are working, that they're busy during the day and they only feel the baby at night. Um, or if they had a really busy day, they, they may just go to sleep and not feel the baby for those 24 hours, but actually the baby's moved. So it is important just to sit down, focus, and see if you can feel the baby move. Yeah, give yourself a chance to rest exactly. and understand. That, yeah, I mean, I have to say it's one of the oddest sensations, waking up in the morning shortly, follow, in my experience, followed about two or three minutes later by this movement of your unborn child also yeah. coming to Never before you did, but shortly after you did. Or yes. I, am I just imagining that? No, I think that's spot on. Um, that's exactly what a lot it's of people describe. It's very weird, though. Very Wouldn't you like to try it, Colin? Uh, yes, I would. <laughs> I, I think so. I'd like to understand what it's like. <laughs> I think if you've had a very bad stomach bug, you can get a similar kind yeah. of feeling. <laughs> a really big curry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sort of movement of... Uh, it is, I mean, it is a bit, yeah, look, without well, pushing to be too gross. Yes. It's like having really bad wind a lot of the time. It's a bit better without than any, wind. Without <laughs> any pain, it's great. Yeah, yeah that's to, used to freak my husband out and I used to make him look. Mm. He go, no, I don't want to see it. It's disgusting. It looks disgusting. I'm like, no, it's brilliant because when you get <laughs> yes. big, you know, you can see a, a, the heel of a foot or of a hand or something yeah. going across your stump. It is. It's, it's very, amazing. very odd. Yeah. But amazing, actually. We should focus more on the positive. It's amazing <laughs> rather than odd. <laughs> Again, um, I was just feeling so clever. It's an astonishing thing to be able to do. Now, what about if the, you mentioned the position of the placenta? If the baby is in the wrong position, breech, or, or you know, which means legs down, head up, yes. to be very crude, how much of a problem is that? Well, again... Um, when I started practice about 25 years ago, we used to deliver a number of babies bottom first. But nowadays, studies have shown that the risk to the babies born bottom first are much higher. And therefore, most doctors around the world would recommend delivering by caesarean section if the baby stays in the breech position at around 38 to 39 weeks. Of course, some, some midwives feel very passionately that, um, well, frankly, that men have come in and have sort of medicalised birth and turned it into something it never was before, which is a medical procedure. And what you've just described is exactly that, isn't it? I think um, I do understand that sentiment. I think the looking at the other way is when you've helped someone who sadly lost a baby or the baby has been compromised by the birth, it's really traumatic. And it's one thing in life that you can't turn the clock back. 
And most of us doctors, where we see things that don't go well, we do feel passionately to try and avoid that from happening. The studies have shown that the risk to a baby being born um, by the breech position uh, through the vaginal route is about six times higher than a caesarean section. And I think it's for that reason that the consensus is more towards caesarean section. But at the end of the day, it's very much the decision of the woman. It's not by court of law in this country. We cannot um, do any delivery unless we have the permission um, by the woman herself. So what percentage of babies are breached then? About 3% of babies are in the breech position at 37 weeks. Right. And the majority from that point onwards will stay in the breech. And why? Why are they? Um, there are a variety of reasons. It may be the shape of the uterus, it may be the position of the placenta, um, but very often we don't know why. And it is important to know that as well, because when a baby's born who's been in that position for a long time, then when the baby, after the baby's born, it's important the baby has a, an ultrasound scan of the hips to check the hips are OK. And that's normally done at the six-week check. Yes, I've got to admit, that happened to my youngest daughter. She, I, I nearly didn't go to her six-week right, check. Right. She was a breech baby. Yes. Both of them were, actually. And she did have the hip problem. Right. And so anyone right. listening who thinks, I won't bother with that six-week yes. thing, please bother. Because I think, to be honest, if you didn't have the treatment which she did go on to have, she wouldn't be able to walk or she right. might have a limp. That's just in case. But I really feel passionately yes. about this because yes. it's a bit of a, yes. a raw nerve for us. Yeah. for her, not that she, well actually she does refer to it regularly because it's her favourite anecdote about herself. <laughs> I was born with a broken hip, it oh, will be her opening gambit on yeah. all her dates coming up in the future, <laughs> but she's only 11 so we've got some time, she's got some time to kill before then. Um, but moving away completely from me, although I am fascinating um, <laughs> you mentioned caesareans then in relation to breech babies, that, that I understand, yes. but why are so many other caesarean sections now carried out in this country? I think um, there are many, many reasons, but I think we try very hard as doctors to avoid complications and risks. And I think it's the perception of risk to avoid... Um, I mean, in the past, we used to do a lot more uh, instrumental vaginal deliveries. and That means what, forceps? So forceps being the... I mean, vontus and forceps are the two ways of assisting a baby being born vaginally. And just to be... Let's just describe exactly yes. what we mean by that. Yeah, so a vontus is a device that's placed on the baby's head that um, helps turn the baby. It's a suction device. And um, originally it was um, uh, like a plastic shower cap that was attached to the baby's head and attached to a, um, uh, a, device, a machine that creates a vacuum. We used to call it the vacuum rather than von twos. And it creates a pressure, a, a backward pressure that allows us to literally pull the baby through the birth canal without necessarily putting anything around the baby's face. That's different to forceps where you have to put some metal blades around the baby's face and use traction to pull the baby out. Now, clearly, the less force, the better, because we don't want to use undue force to deliver a baby because that can lead to complications and problems. So nowadays, people are assessing whether it's safe to use that level of traction force to deliver a baby vaginally. And I think it's very much at the decision of the experienced obstetrician as to whether we should be attempting a vaginal birth or not. And there are, there, there are less risks attached to the vaginal births nowadays, so people are plumping more for caesarean section to avoid complications through the vaginal birth route. But caesarean sections account for what, about a... I'm just being really crude, about a quarter? I think that's a fair estimate, actually, about 20 to 25%, depending on the particular uh, hospital or birth centre that the baby's born in. And that's right across the UK? I think so, yes. But that's a massive change, isn't it, over the last how many decades? Well, certainly um, since I've been practising, that's a 10% increase. Right. Um, and presumably it'll carry on going up, will it? 
difficult to say. I think there is definitely a drive to keep cesarean sections to a minimum. Um, I think justification for cesarean sections is very important and, and hospitals are very specific about the reasons for cesarean sections. So I don't think there is a, a desire to increase it because there are complications. It's If a woman has one cesarean section, that's okay. Two cesarean sections, that's okay. But once you get beyond four cesarean sections, the risks are very, very high. And again, it's, a, it's an operation, whereas a vaginal birth often is a much more straightforward process. But also they're more expensive. I mean, you need a theatre stuffed Absolutely. with experts in various anaesthetics and, yes, and everything else. Correct. Um, and then recovery can be, I mean, I, I happen to have two elective cesareans and it was, I felt really pretty ropey after yes, both of them. yes. Um, and then you have a newborn baby. But I've got nothing to compare it to. So let's ask um, the Lucys. Um, Lucy Mangan, what kind of birth did you have? I had a Vontuze. It's the least fun I've ever had. Right. Mm. Lucy Porter. <laughs> I had Vontuze and forceps with my first one. I was, was that spoilt. less fun than Lucy, Por- uh, Lucy <clears throat> Mangan's experience? To be honest, I didn't find it that bad because I was so... Once the epidural had kicked in, I'd, I had had a birth plan, which I now look at when I want a good laugh, uh, where I was going to be in the water. and I, Anyway. Did you have candles? So, oh, yeah, there were candles, you know, all the sort of uh, hippie music. Something and for misting your face. Yeah, I did bring a mister. <laughs> oh, yes, very important but yeah so it was it was not the birth that I expected but actually um I didn't I didn't find it that traumatic I have to say but then the second time um they were urging me to go for forceps again and I said no I'm going to hold out I stood my ground and I was a bit bolshy the second time how long did each labor go on for the first one was about 24 hours I think and then the second one was about not very long at all, about twelve. So not very long, about twelve hours. But you know that start to finish. So the actual pushing sounds bit, quite a long time to they me. They gave me twenty minutes of pushing, or, or I think no, it's half an hour or something, isn't it? And they don't like you to go beyond half an hour. But I said no, I'm I'm going to do it this time, the second time, and uh, and I did. So in a way, I wished I'd held out a bit longer the first time. But then you don't know, do you? No, I mean there are a multitude of reasons um, for uh, people worrying, complaining about cesareans and them carrying. But but the great thing about them is you go into that operating theatre. And about 12 minutes later, yeah. you can actually hold your baby. <laughs> yes. You know what? 12 yeah, minutes compared to yeah. 24 hours. And particularly like with subsequent children, I can really see the appeal of having a planned C-section because then you can let the other child know, you know, you can make plans and stuff. And how long after each of the births did you feel sort of OK? Mm, I'm going to depress people here. <laughs> no, I actually know. Just be few, honest. The second one actually wasn't too bad. The second one, um, after a, about a week, I sort of felt actually I'm I'm not in pain anymore. Right. Did you have stitches? I had stitches both times. Did you have stitches, Lucy Mangan? Yes, I did. <laughs> That's true. But also, the other thing I always say to friends of mine who are expecting is that you labour seems like such a massive thing when you're pregnant. And actually, after a few years, you know, you just go, it was just a day of my life. And whatever way the baby came out, thank goodness it came out safely. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's not as big a deal as you feel it is beforehand, I think. Yeah. Do you it, think maybe that it is a bit of an indulgence, Lucy, to... Um, to bellyache about, as Lucy Porter says, how your baby was born. If you're lucky enough to end up with a healthy baby, it doesn't matter whether it came in a cornflakes packet, does it really, as long as, long as it's um, all right? No, I don't feel that, actually. I think I think the reason women talk, you know, talk about their births um, quite a lot when they get together is because in many ways it's a kind of unresolved trauma. If you've had a bad birth, it's a really bad thing. Mm. Um and, and it can have you need to lasting repercussions. It has a lasting, you know, it, yeah. it took me it took me a year to love that child, um, because it's it's like someone asking you to love the car that you were in a car crash mm. in, 
And um, that's a really good way of describing it. And that's very honest of you, actually. I mean, Colin, do, are women reluctant to say, in fact, what Lucy has just said, which is actually it was bloody awful. I felt terrible and I really struggled to bond with my child as a result of it. I don't think that question's asked very often. I think I think there's been a lot of the news recently about postnatal support, postnatal depression and anxiety. And I think one of the reasons why women suffer is because they do have traumatic experiences. They haven't got the opportunity to develop their experiences to feel that whether it's normal or not normal and also to look to the future to say, well, what can be done to prevent it happening again in the future? And I think the medical services, the midwifery services, need to be more aware of the feelings and emotions of women because everyone considers childbirth as a walk in the park, straightforward, natural process, everything's going to be fine. But when it isn't fine, it's really important to support women who don't have that type of experience. Did people let you say what you've just said, actually, Lucy Mangan? Did they, did they listen to you and, and, and give you sympathy and understanding? Well, yes, they did, because I was... Because I was, I, I sound so silly, but because I was injured, I had to go home and, and live with my mother for the first three months because she had to wash me every day and get me in and out of the bath and all the rest of it. Because they broke my coccyx with the fontoos and everything, and um, and so there was no, I couldn't hide it. You know, I was just mum. I thought I thought I was actually hiding it. Mum's like, no, no, no. You used to walk through the room and not look at the baby once. You used to have the baby waiting for you. No, you just walk through, and you know, and I used to go in the other room and cry, but we're all fine now. She'd say, oh, yes, yes, that was great. Yeah, I'm glad we've all recovered. So it's very different. And so if you do have a bad time, um, you know, own it. Don't don't deny it because it, it is it's a terrible thing. There's nothing, it may be natural. Lots of natural things are bad for us. You know, a broken leg is natural, but we still set it in a plaster cast yeah. and we don't go, oh, it'll heal by itself. You know, just cross fingers, keep smiling. And, and just speaking up, actually, for what, for what motherhood is all about, it, you've just said it was your mum that you went home to who was helping you through I would, this. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had not only a, a mother to go home to with a, who had a, you know, a house big enough to have a spare room and um, she's also a, a retired gynaecologist. Well, that so she helped. was able to look at me every day and yeah. go, this ain't working, we need to, we need to get you back in yeah. and blah, blah. But if you're in any, you know, if you have less support than that, I don't know how you'd manage. And if you're not managing, tell your health visitor, get down, get, go down to the clinic and you may really have to shout to make yourself heard because, you know, everyone's overstretched, everyone's busy. But if you're, you know, not waving but drowning, mm. you must let people know. And most midwife, uh, health visitors or any woman actually even if you grab a woman in the street and say I'm having this terrible if they've had any kind of similar experience themselves they will know exactly what you mean and they will help you and you won't have to explain in minute detail why or feel guilty they will go oh god yes I remember that down to my bones I remember that and I will help you Lucy yeah. thank you very much for saying that and I think that that's the overriding message of, of this podcast and indeed all the others in this series which is nobody here is perfect we don't all know how to do it wonderfully we've all had problems and we wouldn't want anyone listening to think that they can't ask for help if they're struggling too that's the most important thing of all thank you very much Lucy Lucy Porter thanks to you too and Mr Colin Davis <laughs> thanks uh, for your you're such a soothing presence yeah, thank you very much if I ever you. have another baby which I suspect is <laughs> unlikely I would like I would like you to be there oh, you're very kind thank you um now you'll find the two lucys on twitter uh, at lucy mangan and at 
Luna Bimberton or head to the far more sensibly <laughs> named lucyporter.co.uk for information about her gigs and appearances. Uh, Colin's website won't list his stand-up dates but it does have all kinds of fantastic information about conception, birth and beyond. You'll find it at excellenceinwomenshealth.co.uk Now if you like what you've just heard be sure to tell your friends and any fellow parents-to-be and you can share this podcast too on Facebook. I'm Jane Garvey, thank you very much for listening and we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to the My Baby and Me podcast in association with Nook. Visit us at nook.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.